Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Bogdanovich attacking the Yang. Drives. Rudy's got everybody sealed. Bogdanovich lays it up. Opening play of the second half. A beautiful curl for Boyan Bogdanovich down the lane. Royce pushes ahead to Conley. Conley hands to Bogdanovich. Right corner three. Ow! Conley flares to Bogdanovich. Ball fakes Maxi. One dribble to his right. Fires the three and hits. O'Neal picks it up. Transition Bogdanovich to Ingles. Back to Bogdanovich for three. Swish. The Utah Jazz win easily. They blow the game open in the second quarter. They blow it wide open in the third quarter. They rest all the big names in the fourth quarter. And the Jazz beat the Sixers by 35 points, 120 to 85. Bogey led the way with 27 points, but that was awfully easy against the shorthanded Sixer team, PK. Oh, it was, yeah. It's just what they needed. Nice little easy win, get some confidence, get going back in the win column. Really can't say a whole lot about it. I don't know how much you can evaluate. They did what they needed to do, and that's a very much a watered-down 76ers team as opposed to what they thought they would have. And they didn't have anything there, and the Jazz had it going on. I look at it more about the Jazz. You know, when they lose, I say, well, uh, you know, I look more about them as opposed to the opponent. And i, I got to stay with this. Even though the, the Sixers were watered down, uh, I, I'm, I'm more concerned about what the Jazz do as opposed to Philadelphia. Jordan Clarkson gave him 20 points. Not spectacularly efficient, but not spectacularly inefficient either. So maybe that gets him going a little bit. Uh, Conley, Mitchell. Uh, Mitchell only played 22 minutes. I mean, that was that was a ton of rest for him. Uh, barely, barely playing at all. Had 13 points in his 20 minutes. And the Jazz have had problems rebounding, but they were plus 14 in this game. Both teams with six offensive boards, so that was a little better. So... They obviously had a huge size advantage, too, and Gobert crushed it with 17 rebounds. And We'll see how they do against the Raptors tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, Vivint Arena. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. A couple of the games in the NBA, the Golden State Warriors, best record in the league, win again. They go to Barclays Center in Brooklyn and beat the Nets 117-99. Steph Curry, a 37-point outing. And I saw a stat after that game, PK, that's uh, 37 times now he's hit nine three-pointers in a game. And you look at the guys who've done that, who've had a lot of nine nine three-point games, like the next five guys haven't had 37 together. Nobody shoots it from deep the way this guy does. He is just I, I didn't need a stat to, to notice. I know stats get you going, but yeah, he's so entertaining. I think he's the most entertaining player we have in the game. I have big-time recency bias. I always go with what's right in front of me. I'm the opposite of about a lot of guys who say my day. Seems like I get caught up in the moment. And that game obviously was on TNT before the Jazz game. So I had nothing to do, and I'm not feeling well. So I just sat there and watched that whole thing. And he is so freaking entertaining. I can't think, literally, I cannot think of a more entertaining player in the history of the NBA. Magic. Michael. You're just going to greatness. I don't know that you're necessarily going to entertain. I mean, Showtime was pretty entertaining, and you were in L.A. for it, so it's 
why I started there. Right, but that wasn't just magic. That was showtime. It was. I'm talking about an individual player. I don't know that I've seen a more entertaining player than him. He barely seems to sweat on the court. He is in phenomenal physical condition. And to shoot off the dribble, going left, going right, his balance is always so good. So easy for him to hit it from deep. Two, three steps behind the line, no big deal. Uh, it's really amazing. I, I don't know that I've, I've seen a player like that ever. Especially, you know, when he's coming along at the right time. Because you look back, and, you know, I was telling you last week when I saw Ron Boone in that uh, celebrity golf challenge in Kona. He told me later it was Kona. And then I flicked over and I saw Magic's first game. And I saw a guy take a shot from the corner who looked a lot like Ron Boone. And I knew he played for the Lakers, but I didn't know when. Uh, if he was on the team that year. And so I went and looked up the box score. And combined in that game, both teams attempted zero three-pointers. <laughs> uh, and so I don't know that Steph would be as entertaining without the three and without the permission, I guess, and the line of thinking, of course you need to shoot that shot. It's just it's absolutely amazing, man. He is so fun to watch. Steve Kerr was asked after the game, the offense, when, what really, when it's going like that, what makes it go? And he said, Steph Curry. Steph Curry makes it go. For sure, yeah. Clippers beat the Spurs 106-92. to Paul George led the way with 34 points in that one. And those were the only three games in the NBA last night. So the Jazz now sitting on 9-5, tied with the Clippers and the Nuggets for fourth in the West. Three games behind the first-place Warriors. Staples Center is getting a new name beginning Christmas Day. Home to the Lakers, the Clippers, the Sparks, and the Kings, and who knows how many concerts and events there all year long. It's going to be known as Crypto.com Arena. And Crypto is paying about $700 million over 20 years to rename the building. It's been the Staples Center for all 22 years of its existence. But Crypto's throwing the big money. $35 million per year. Injured guys coming back. Pelicans forward Zion Williamson has been cleared to resume contact drills and do some one-on-one drills. He's ramping up for his return to action from a right foot fracture this past summer. Clay Thompson on court with some five-on-five drills with the franchise strength coaches. He's expected to return around Christmas time. So, oh man, he must dominate if he's playing the franchise strength coaches. Showing them who's boss. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. BYU 81, Oregon 49, a 32-point blowout win for the Cougars in a pseudo-sorta kind of road game. It wasn't in Eugene. It was up in Portland on the Blazers court, the Moda Center. And they took control of that game immediately, PK, and then they just kept pulling away. And if you were waiting for Oregon to make a run, then you were up all night because Oregon never, ever made a run. That was a dominant performance by BYU. It really was, yeah. The best defensive performance I've seen since I don't know when. And maybe ever. And you know, I really started following basketball with BYU in the 90s when I got here. I'm a little bit familiar with them, it seemed occasionally before that. Not a whole lot. Uh, but obviously here, and then covering them for several years with the watchdog. It was just absolutely brilliant, yeah. I mean, Dave Rose's team would run and gun, so you can't really count them. Steve Cleveland had some teams that could uh, 
lock you up a little bit, especially with Travis Hansen, who was an incredible athlete. So that group and this thing here early, I mean, Oregon just could not score. BYU took a little time to get going, but their defense made it such that there was no pressure offensively because it wasn't like Oregon was scoring and starting to build a lead into four to six to eight and so forth. Not at all. BYU's defense was incredible early, allowed it to get the offensive flow, and Barcelo as one of those, uh, what, 50-year, 60-year seniors or whatever he is, I mean, just took over, and he's a dominant player, and he's got a bunch of other guys who can do some stuff for you. I couldn't have been more impressed with the Cougars and their win over the Ducks, who were ranked 12th. I don't know what that means because that's early, and maybe they're not as good as we thought. But right now, they thought they were really good. And so to go into Portland and do that was just absolutely outstanding. Cougars didn't do that to the teams they played at home. So did BYU just play their best game? Is San Diego State, who gave BYU a good game, is San Diego State much better than Oregon? There are many more games to sort all of that out. But to go up there for one night and just completely dominate for 40 straight minutes was really impressive. Yeah, and then, you know Oregon got a little bit of a flow, considering they had no flow. They got a little bit of a flow coming out of the second half with a couple of baskets. And you think, oh, man, here we go a little bit. But no. The Cougars just shut it right down, right there. And it was just basically 16 minutes of garbage time in the second half. UVU's at Long Beach State tonight. That's the game on the local scene. Tip-off set for 8 o'clock ESPN+. Plus. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Baltimore Ravens release former Pro Bowl running back Le'Veon Bell after five games. He had 31 carries for 83 yards. That's less than three yards a carry. He did score a couple touchdowns in short yardage situations. But Le'Veon Bell let go. Running backs, you're really good until you're not in the NFL PK. And when it's over, it's over. When you lose that burst, it's all done. What are you going to do? Well, you you know, hopefully you'd save enough money and then you've got other interests in this world. I can't speak to specifically what Le'Veon Bell's interests are. I don't know, but now you've got an opportunity to do that. So I can't answer that question specifically. Chargers play starting defensive lineman Joey Bosa and Jerry Tillery in the reserve COVID-19 protocol. They might miss Sunday's game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers are crafting their game plan for the Charger matchup with Mason Rudolph as the starter. They are, quote, leaving the light on for Ben Roethlisberger to play if he clears the COVID protocols in time. Mason Rudolph, man, it seems like he's been the backup there for 10 years. Right? <laughs> it does, doesn't it? I think it's at least four or five years. The ageless Mason Rudolph. How old is he? You're good at that, PK. I'd say, uh, what are you, was it Oklahoma State? I'd say Correct. probably close to 30, 31. He's 26. I thought he was way older than that. Uh, I'm terrible at that game. And then he allegedly called that, uh, who was it, uh, Miles Garrett, the N-word, but he didn't. And we just go on. No big deal. NFL Hall of Fame defensive lineman Curly Culp announced he's been diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. 75 years old, played 14 years in the NFL, and was a six-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro. When I was a little kid, Curly Culp was, he was a stud. He was big time. Well, we're leaving out one important uh, name on that resume, and that would be Arizona State. I did not know that he was a Sun Devil. Absolutely, he's a Sun Devil. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. 
Big 12 issued a public reprimand Tuesday fined Baylor 25000 because students and fans stormed the field before time expired and the Bears win over Oklahoma and again when the game is over. Conference said the reprimand and fine are in accordance with policy, so BYU fans and students are on alert. Get your court get your court storming and your field storming in in the next year and a half because the Big 12 is going to drop the hammer. Okay, but they stormed before the field time expired. If they expired, uh, if they did it after zeros, would it be still a fine? Yeah, would it only be like ten grand? According to the Big Twelve, it still would have been fine, but maybe not as much. Oh. Ah, come on! But twenty-five grand—that's not stopping anybody. Yeah, it'd really be isn't. interesting to see, you know, when the first uh, incredible Big Twelve moment. Now, obviously, it's. Not that Baylor and Oklahoma are big-time rival; they're conference rivals. So every, I think every game is a conference. If it's a if it's a conference game to one degree or another, it's a rival game. It may not be the rivalry, but the fact that Oklahoma was undefeated at that point makes it just absolutely gigantic. And I, and I think the big story here is Aranda, their coach, is now starting to get some serious run. Uh, and he's got some California ties, so we're hearing his name being associated with USC. And, of course, he's, oh, my family and I love it here. Every, Baylor's been everything we thought it would be, blah, 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 blah. That's all well and good, but it's not like, well, forget that. I ain't going. No, hmm. we don't hear that at all, and nor should he. He's reportedly uh, a Dodgers fan. Oh, is he? Yeah, well, I know he's from the area. Yeah, he's from L.A. So, Norm Chow, uh, get him some tickets. They'll hang out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, See, uh, as because they've had an outstanding season, and last year, you know, it was COVID, so you really can't count it. I, they weren't very good, and they lost their quarterback who had the best spring game ever here for Utah, and so they weren't expected to do that well. And here they are, uh, number eleven, and knocking Baylor or uh, Oklahoma out of the ranks of undefeated. So his name is going to surface there for sure. So, I guess the question whether you're Kalani Satake at BYU or Dave Aranda at Baylor or anyone else. Uh, obviously, there's a financial thing. Number one for you, number two for your staff, and number three for any facilities or recruiting budgets. You know, when you have the leverage, now's the time to bring that up and see what you can get the, the school and the institution to pony up for. But then on top of that, how much do you like where you are and you have ties where you are and it's home and you got family and you don't want to move your kids and settle in because this is a spot versus... You go to some of these jobs, and obviously LSU and, and USC are open, and we see it when the, the, the rankings come out last night. You know, if you're at a name school, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt. So if you want to go to a playoff and win a championship, a lot of these schools, that's the thing they can't do anything about in the negotiations. You know, if you're, if you're BYU, if you're Baylor, if you're whoever, you can't pretend to have the cachet that USC, LSU, and whoever have. And that's and we were sitting here talking about all the things yesterday that, you know, Kalani can consider and the money BYU's got to pony up and that stuff's all true but at the end the cachet some of these big name schools have and the doors that get open, hey when in doubt, one loss Cincinnati is getting left out. One loss Baylor has been left out. If BYU gets in that one loss situation, they could be left out like the Cotton Bowl team was, although it was a different era and a different postseason. But if you're at LSU or USC as a one-loss team, you got a shot. Well, and, but, but, but yet that's not true. Well, uh, go ahead. 
So SC has been a one-loss team, and they've been shut out. I, I would disagree with that. Because they've been shut out in the era with two teams where they shut out in the 14. Now, if we're going to a 12-team era in a, in a year and a half, maybe a lot of that matter. gets – Yeah, the whole one-loss right. argument goes out the window. Yeah. To, to me, if, if Cincinnati's going to get shut out with zero losses, forget about one. Uh, but going forward, they're not going to. I, that, that's a G5 argument. If you go undefeated in these conferences – you're going to go in. So if, if you don't if you don't want people to look down upon you, then don't lose games. You now have access. BYU never had access, and in in, a, in uh, less than two years, they will have access. And so take care of business. I mean, SC hasn't gone once since they've gone in this direction here, and Washington has. So uh, SC has more cash than, than Washington. Uh, Washington. And, and it's going to change anyway, and it's going to broaden it. So I think that's out the door. And as far as, oh, it's home, and I know a lot of BYU fans like to point to that, that sounds good. But nobody was more of a homeboy than Bronco, and he moved his family all the way across country right when they were in high school. Why? Because he was getting over three freaking million dollars. Come yeah. on. Brian Harson's a Boise guy all the way. He moved his family all the way across the country. So that, that sounds good, the hometown story and all. But I don't buy that either because money talks, and it'll always talk. It'll always have the loudest voice in the room. Oklahoma coach Lincoln Riley downplaying speculation. He is interested in the LSU job. Says his feelings about the Sooners and the job at Oklahoma haven't changed. He is 54-9 and at Oklahoma since replacing Bob Stoops in 2016. And in 2020, agreed to a six-year $45 million deal. So he's making about $7.5 million a year. Kansas Jayhawks walk-on fullback Jared Casey caught the two-point conversion pass to beat Texas in Austin. Has signed name, image, and likeness deals with Applebee's with Applebee's restaurants in Kansas. Lewis Automotive Group, a dealership in Topeka and Hayes, Kansas, which is the closest town to any size of his hometown in Plainville in the northwest part of the state. Cashing in quickly. That's just a phenomenal story. That's incredible. That's the beauty of all this stuff, yeah. Some no-name dude, first and only played, been in offense. He's a special teams guy. We got an injury. You got to get on this two-point conversion. That is so cool. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball Award Weeks continues. Manager of the year in the American League, Kevin Cash, Tampa Bay Rays. Gabe Kapler, San Francisco Giants. Hey, you got any complaints with those, PK? No, they would have been the two most obvious of all the awards that they give out. That would be the least questionable whatsoever. I could have told you two months ago that those guys were going to win it. It's like the uh, it's like the NBA Coach of the Year, Manager of the Year goes to whoever overachieves the most. The Giants had the lowest expectations, ended up with the best record, makes it a slam dunk. Yeah, I don't know about cash though because they had expectations. They, they did. were in the World Series last year. Yep. Angels upgraded their pitching staff. We told you about them getting Noah Syndergaard on a one-year deal, twenty-one million. That was sources yesterday, and now yeah, it's official. Toronto Blue Jays lock up. Jose Barros, seven years, $131 million contract extension. Generational money, PK, $131 yeah. million. And all that, I, I believe that's all guaranteed. MLB contracts are fully guaranteed. Yeah. 
What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small and get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, college football insider Riley Jensen will join us next. Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, is here at 9 o'clock on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The question of the day is on the way, and we got a two-parter after two blowout wins last night. Fool's gold or the real deal? What did you learn watching those games? We will get to that next. For the Utes and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It's the biggest Pac-12 game of the year for Utah and a potential preview of the conference championship game as the Oregon Ducks come to Rice-Eccles Stadium for a showdown against the Utes. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 4.30 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! The 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes or Toast brought to you by Utah Facial Plastics. Losing your hair, it's 2021, and you don't have to. UFP Hair Restoration offers a range of cutting-edge therapies to restore thick hair permanently. Just text HAIR to 801-960-3137 for 15% off any hair loss treatment, or visit www.utahairmd.com. Question of the morning, two-parter, both the Jazz and BYU with blowout victories. Are the Jazz on to something, or was it simply destroying the shorthanded 76ers? Jason says they did exactly what they should have against a severely depleted team. They did. Nick says, come on, the Sixers without... Embiid, Simmons, they were way shorthanded. No sense in getting all hyped up over beating Bingham High School. Jeremy says they beat a bad team. Jonathan says it's the Sankin option. It's the shorthanded Sixers. And Han said, yes, he clearly believes both things to be true. I think both things can be true because for me, I'm far more focused on the Jazz than I am the opponent. Not surprised by that. I think you're like a lot of people in that regard. And the Jazz passed the eyeball test. But then in the circular logic that goes on and on, well, did they pass the eyeball test because the Sixers just don't have the talent to put up any resistance? Well... I mean, the, the eyeball test won't be passed for months. So it's about them doing what they need to do. And, you know, you it's going to sound so simple and so obvious, but when they do the things that they need to do, they're most likely going to win. Probably not all, but I don't think they're going to lose a few. More than a few, I should say. And... That's what's important, that the team plays, can't play at your level of capability all the time, and it's still November. We've got to understand that. I think we're, you know, we're really focusing more on the Jazz this November than we have in recent Novembers because the expectations are so high. And 
Uh, you know, they're already, what, three games behind the Warriors, and they're expected to contend for the best record, and they probably still will. So every game, I think, because of expectation level, takes on a little bit more level of importance than normally if they were going back a few years when they were, oh, can they get home court in the first round? You know, if that was a level of expectation this year, well, I don't think we'd be sweating much at 9-5. and five. They'd be right where they're supposed to be. But because they lost 3 out of 4, relative to the expectation, there's a little more sweating involved. So, you know, much given, much expected type thing, and that's where we're at with these guys. So we're going to analyze it a little bit more, and we're going to put more level of importance on games. Like, oh, man, you lost a couple of games at home. Where are you going to make those up? Because you've got to make those up to finish with the best record in the league, right? you got to get them back somehow. Who's it going to be? And so I don't want to say we're stressing out, but I certainly think we're putting a far more important level of importance on early season games than we have in a good while. Yeah, and I think the third option to this, are the Jazz onto something? Uh, or was it simply destroying a team that was just really shorthanded? And I think the third thing is, you know, you're on to something, but are you going to sustain it? Even if the answer is you're on to something, if you're going to be the best team in the league, you got to do it. You got to do it again. You got to do it a third time. And you got to just one after another, just keep grinding them out. And that is a trick all unto itself. And it is hard to sustain that. That's why there's a lot of 50 win teams and very few 60 win teams. I think they're going to. I think their time is going to come where they roll out like a 17 and 3 record over a 20 game stretch. And I haven't doped out the schedule, nor will I. Uh, but I think that. But you that, still think it's coming? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, whether it's coming, you know, it's not coming in November because we don't have enough games. Yeah, but uh, this is how it starts, though. I know they've. I know they've only got two road games between now and the the start of December. So this is a great chance to start putting that streak together. Uh, you don't play twenty games in a month, so there's no one month you can do that in. It's the kind of thing you got to do over five or six weeks. And I think, I don't know which five- or six-week period it will happen, but it will happen. I, I believe that. Maybe they need Gay to get back in there or to get in there since he hasn't been back with this team to see what they have. And, and obviously, I know Quinn Snyder has ideas of what he wants to do with Rudy Gay and when he's ready to go. And, and then you've got to give uh, him a little opportunity to get his feet wet with the team and all that stuff. Uh, so maybe it's not till January, after the first of the year. Uh, but I believe it's going to come, uh, because I believe I believe talent is the most important ingredient to success. Uh, coaching is important, and every other stuff, all the other things that they do and provide, are extremely important. But you can have all the bells and whistles, and if you don't have the talent, you know you're not going to get it done. Uh, so as I look at the talent. I see the talent is there, and that's why I expect a very nice stretch. I mean, they started out okay, and then they had a little mini rough patch. I mean, you can't really say so far that it's a big time. A two-game losing streak is not a uh, cause for panic. You know, It's not Will Farrell screaming, everybody panic, for sure. <laughs> uh, but I think that talent is what is the difference maker, and... They've got the talent. They've got the talent to put together a streak. Now, that could change if guys go down uh, with injury and whatnot, obviously. 
but I think right now they've got the talent, so I'm expecting a streak. And, and maybe you know, maybe that was the first one, and maybe these abundance of home games. But I don't think they need an abundance of home games to put together a streak. That's how much I believe in the talent. They're going to go out on the road and get her done. I see no reason. Why not? Especially in a 20-game stretch, and I just picked that because that's a nice round number. Yep. You know, I'm, I'm giving them some losses that will be built in for sure. Yeah. I mean, shooting to a degree is fickle. Not completely. But to a degree, it's fickle. And they've been hitting... The fickle has been, it's like a little bit of a, of a flu or a bug that went through the team. And then you got two, three guys not hitting. Well, then it becomes a problem. If you only got one, it's no big deal. You know, in Clarkson, you talked about, you know, efficiency. Efficiency isn't Clarkson's game. <laughs> Volume, it, baby. It is. It just isn't. So we accept that. You know, go to the hoop. Do your curly kneel dribble 20 seconds because... It seems like the more you dribble, and he's my, he might be the only guy you could say this about, the more you dribble, the more you have an opportunity to find some crease and contort your body, fake this way, fake that way. You know, like the he, him, he's a smaller guy NBA-wise, but when he gets down low, it seems like he has the footwork of some legendary big men who can pivot uh, and turn, turn back again, go up under, blah, blah, blah. You know, we all know the McHales and the Olajuwans with the tremendous footwork that they've had over the, that they displayed for many, many years to get their shots off. And Clarkson seems like he has that ability. So in a sense, I would encourage him to do that because usually the closer he's getting, he's getting off a pretty good shot, but he's going to still take those threes. But, you know, you, you've pretty much signed up for that. So if he's out there taking bad shots, I don't know that it's his fault because that's what he's supposed to do. He did have one of those uh, shots where he just finds space where it doesn't seem like there's any. He right, drove exactly. last night. Yeah. And they were shooting in front of their own bench, and he was on the far side of the floor from TV, so right in front of the bench. And he cuts through the lane. He comes over to the other side, so it's his you know left-hand side. And he's almost behind the backboard, and for whatever reason, the defender slows down, and he just throws that thing up off the backboard straight in the air and in. You're like, most guys could not have possibly done that. And usually when you say that, it's because either a guy is 30 feet from the hoop or a guy is three feet over the rim. And he was playing below the rim in this found space that most people aren't going to find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really incredible when he does that. So the question now is, how much of this is Philly? How sustainable is it? And certainly a lot of it was Philly, but I do think, and I don't usually think this, usually once you get like over 15, you know, in college football it's the same thing. I don't care if you beat somebody by 20 or 40 in college football. If you're up by three touchdowns in the fourth quarter, the game's over. But I think there is something to be said for finishing off an overmatched opponent early and never letting them back in the game so you can play the guys who are buried deep on the bench and let Mike Conley and his hamstrings have more time off, and guys like Gobert, who spend a ton of energy, you know, seven-foot dude running up and down the floor, Quinn yelling, yelling at him to sprint both ways, stretch the defense and all that, to give those guys a break. So to take over in the second quarter, you got to give them some points for that. They blew it open in the second quarter, blew it open by even more, and never let them back in. So it's a, yeah. it's a weird bar. It's a low bar because Philly was – was just completely decimated. They're well, I think really the level of easiness 
is what you attribute to the opponent and the lack of manpower that they have. I'm fine with that. Uh, but you still have to have the ability to blow away this team. And they had it. So that's what's most important. And there's so many games. You're just looking for rhythm. You know, fine rhythm. Now, Joe, I think, was one of five. So he's in a little bit of a shooting slump. I don't necessarily have a great deal of worry about it. But, you know, because he still had, what, he have seven assists. So yep. they're doing what he's asking him to do or what they're asking him to do. And so, you know, he's still finding ways. Because obviously, particularly with him, there's other ways for him to contribute. Uh, because that you know Bogdanovich probably not as much, because he's not a facilitator and he's not a rebounder. He's a scorer, and so for him to be effective and be worthy of what they're paying him, he's got to score, uh, or at least space, because that's what he brings to the team. Joe brings more. His game is a little bit more diversified. Probably doesn't have the high end ability to score like Bogdanovich, nor is he going to take as many FGAs. So know your role, and these guys know what they're doing here and continue to do what they do. So I look at it, sure, the the relative ease in which there was no tension virtually at all. I mean, they got a lead, and then Philly came back a little bit, but that's the NBA. You can almost set your watch by it. That's going to happen, you know, 85% of the time. And that happened, and then they took control again, and then there was nothing Philadelphia could do, and they knew it. You, weren't, you didn't see Doc Rivers standing up, storming the sidelines, you know, uh, working the referees because he knew, all right, well, there's really no point in doing this. I can do all that, but in terms of the outcome, what difference is it going to make? It's nothing. It's going to make a zero difference. So they knew, but the Jazz being in a rhythm, and you know, playing what we identify as Jazz ball, and all of us fans, media, who sit there and watch all of these games, we know what Jazz ball is. We know when they're clicking, and you could see it. Uh, in that way, and that, and that that was, to me, that was what I took from that. That was jazz ball the way they're supposed to do. Yeah, and if they had a better opponent, it wouldn't have been as easy. Joe did struggle shooting it. It's a little six-game stretch, which really coincides with the jazz struggling. They're two and four in their last six. He shot 25% in those six games, uh, five of 25 from three. Uh, he shot 25% from three. Not He hasn't shot 25%. Right, right, 25% right. from three. He's 5 of 25 from three. Before that, he was over 50% from three. Uh, yeah. So he had to cool off, or he had to set a career high and possibly challenge the NBA record for three-point percentage. So he's down to 39-4 for the whole season now, so... Expect a hot streak is coming for him because uh, I would say expect him to shoot in the 40s. Yeah, maybe a little more consistency. You know, because really, if you're one for five, to get to 40%, all you got to do is make one more. That's why I go with a bigger game sample, because you're right about that. One shot rattling in or rattling out, you can't go crazy over that. You'll drive yourself insane. You need a bigger sample size. Right. And they literally did not need him to score. If he didn't make that three-pointer, it would have been no different. But what they do need him to do is to set up other guys. And I like what he's doing, particularly when he's in there with Whiteside. You know, get Whiteside going a little bit. Uh, get him at the at the basket. And whether it's, uh, you know, he could put back his own shot so the, uh, you won't be, uh, you won't tally an assist. But uh, still the same thing. You get the two points out of the possession. You know, set him up. He goes up, misses the shot. 
but then he gets a rebound and puts it back in. To me, that's the same thing. That You ought to tell Locke that should be some new stat category. It should be. That'll keep David busy for the next week. <laughs> Excuse me. That's what I thought. Yeah, you're right. And having, you know, the screen assist became the big thing. How about the assist off the missed rebound? Uh, it's um, Yeah, and you also have to think uh, if you make a great pass to a guy and then they foul him, because he's going to get a dunk and maybe he'll miss a free throw, right? You need an assist for that. PK Soccer's ahead of basketball in this regard. They've got a stat for opportunities created. And if you get a guy a point-blank shot and he misses it, if you get a guy to the free throw line, you've created an opportunity. So you need a broader category than assists. Well, we actually, I don't, think, I don't think you need any of that stuff because I think the guys who are paid to know, know. And that's Have you been like, watching Moneyball? <laughs> well, that's a long time ago, but yeah. Uh, what's that, I just thought it was ago? on I was channel surfing Monday night uh, during the Monday night football game. It was getting out of hand, and I channel surfed, and I hit Moneyball, and I hit that uh, scene. Oh, I don't remember the scene. Oh, the, the scout's about to get himself fired, and he's telling Brad Pitt, Billy Bean, how it is. Yeah, I think the they don't know are, what we know. Right. And I, I think they do know and they do know those types of things. So they don't. It, it's the same thing with uh, college football recruiting. Those guys know and they they have no idea what Joe Blow's star rating is, but they know what they see and they know that come here and we it's like they're looking at a, 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 the future. Yep. And they have the ability to do that. Clearly, the guys at Utah have that. And we're seeing it more and more at BYU. Ed Lamb certainly did it at SUU. And they can see that. And it's, it, it is, it's, not a, it's not a totally definable talent, but yet it manifests itself three, four, five years later in which we then can see it. Now, we're not out recruiting, so we don't see the whoever it might be from Texas and we identify this kid, oh, we got to get this kid because uh, where is he going to be in three, four years? They see that, and they have, and it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a skill. It really, I believe it is a skill, and it, and it really comes through just like anything, really, uh, repetition, hours and hours and hours of research and film work and blah, 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 and seeing all these things. And so with that in mind, they're able to do that. And I think over here, they know, even if there's no specific stat that shows uh, you got an assist or you got you, your team got points because Joe got fouled and he made a great pass and makes a free throw. I think those dudes know, which is what they saw originally in Joe, to use him as the example, right? Because they had some familiarity with his game. And I, I can remember earlier, but when he was barely playing, we were talking about uh, boy, I bet you guys really love to play with Joe Ingles because he's going to get you the ball to allow you to be successful. Who wouldn't like, like that? I remember us specifically talking about that in his first year when he wasn't getting a lot of playing time and the team stunk. Everybody likes the guy who gives them the ball and gets them an easy shot. He's yeah, a popular yeah, guy on a you. team, high school, yeah. college pro. That guy gets me easy Junior shots. Jazz. <laughs> junior Jazz. There's no passing in Junior Jazz. <laughs> First player across midcourt launches. Certainly not from the coaches, son. That's why you're coaching. Exactly. All right, DJ and PK, the Jazz weren't the only team to win big. BYU just crushing Oregon. Question of the day, part two. 
How about the Cougars hammering number 12 in Oregon? What uh, Number 12 Oregon in Portland. What more can you say than just wow? I mean, can you take anything away from that? Or Oregon's overrated? We'll get to that next. Stay with us. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. Blake Anderson, head coach at Utah State. You talk about one and zero, and but you are dealing with uh, you know kids that are on social media. They see what's going on. I know you mentioned you addressed it a little bit last week. Is that something you address again, or you feel like that message is sent across to these guys, knowing that hey, block out what's out there, just focus on Wyoming, and everything else will take care of itself. I really did talk to them about drowning out the noise and having laser focus on the job that is at hand and, and doing what we have to do. And there's nothing going to be easy. It gets even harder to me. The more tendencies you have, attrition has taken hold. There's expectations and pressure that you didn't have at the beginning of the season, it gets tougher and tougher to maintain that. It's got to be important enough to us we're willing to go out and pay the price to earn it, and I think that starts at practice. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Football Fridays are presented by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. All right, question of the day, part two. We were all watching a couple of games last night. Either you had two screens set up, you were flipping back and forth, whatever it was. The Jazz were annihilating the 76ers. BYU is just taking it to Oregon, just hammered the 12th-ranked Ducks, and no, they won't be 12th-ranked for very long. What more can you say than wow? Zach says, well, BYU owns the Pac-12 all around. 4-0 in football, 1-0 in hoops. Yeah, geez, man, did the Pac-12 blow it by taking the wrong team from the state of Utah? I think that's obvious. <laughs> oh, you're <a> beauty. <laughs> Drive that conversation. They blow it by taking Colorado and not taking two teams from Utah. Yeah, I know about the cable and satellite TV yeah. bills, but come on, what's the model for the conference and who's hey, doing don't the winning? Don't get me started on cross country and volleyball and soccer and softball. Oh, the list never ends with the Cougars. Clint says total dominance. I'm not used to BYU looking like they've got the better athletes. I could get used to it, though. <laughs> Clint's ready. Dominate top 20 teams. The better athletes. That's code for more black guys, isn't it? It is usually, yes. <laughs> That's supposed to say it. <laughs> Either that or it's uh, code for cheating because you've upgraded. But in BYU's case, yes, it's code for the team isn't, uh, isn't uh, almost all white. Yeah, this is an exciting time to be a Cougar basketball fan because... You know, the team has had a very nice schedule here. You're playing your first three games against teams that were NCAA tournament teams last year. You know, it can change from year to year, but um, that's all you can do. And so they're not playing cream puff cities here anyway. And, you know, they expect them to win at home. Uh, and they did. And, and Portland is not a true road game in the sense of uh, being at uh, – I think they named Phil Knight, named that yeah. arena after his son. But it's not like going to Eugene and having 2,000 students yeah. screaming at you and the arena's yeah. packed. And but it's still, still a good Yeah, and I, I mean, I wasn't there, obviously. I was just watching it, and it sounded like typical of BYU. There were a lot of BYU fans. Road. Yeah. yeah, you could hear a, a audible cheer when the Cougars would score. 
So that's what they do. If you want to just say it's because of the church affiliation, as I'll say it a million times, it doesn't matter. Butts and seats are butts and seats, and they'll cheer for you. But you have to be excited about BYU basketball because I think we can all agree that Mark Pope has brought a new enthusiasm to the program. And, you know, he came along at the right time where the transfer portal was such a big deal. And he's obviously mined that very, very successfully. It wasn't as near a deal uh, at Dave Rose's time. It was going in that direction. But it is a big-time thing here. And when you look at what this program can accomplish, right, they're two for two on NCAs. We know the first year was COVID, but nevertheless, they certainly would have been in the NCAs. I think we all agree with that. So they're two for two. I was thinking about this this morning, knowing that obviously we're going to be talking about BYU Hoop. They get four for four going into the Big 12. That is just incredible because you're going into a phenomenal basketball league one that has a ton of passion in many, many places and is as big time as you can get multiple programs having won national titles and not, you know, back way back when, very recently in a modern age, and you're going to play against them and you've gone to the NCAA tournament every year and you're getting 18,000, 19,000 people to your games and they can broadcast your home games. I don't know how it's going to work television-wise with them, but I would think that they would use BYU TV as when I was getting information that they are going in the Big 12. Part of the leverage that they were using was the BYU TV, so you'll have access to you know nondescript, uh, non-conference games that your family in Oshkosh can watch and all that stuff. you got to be excited about BYU basketball, that is for sure. One thing about beating Oregon, PK, is that Dana Altman has built a really good program there. The last six years, you got one year there was no NCAA tournament. And you got another year where they were in the NIT. But the other four years, Sweet 16, Sweet 16, Elite 8, and Final Four. I would say Phil Knight has built a great program. Yeah, <laughs> Phil Knight. Dana, Dana Altman, that's fine. Dana Altman, standing on Phil Knight's shoulders, has built a great program. Standing on his wallet, which is actually taller than his shoulders. Oh, nice. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> has, has built a great program there. So, is this another Sweet 16 team that Oregon has? Did BYU beat a team that's that good? Now, they're counting a lot on transfers, so maybe you know, you're know you a Sweet 16 team in March, but maybe you're not at that level because you brought in one guy from Oklahoma and one guy from Syracuse and one guy from somewhere else who's starting. I can't remember where he's from, but it was somewhere back east. They had a graphic up early in the game. And so maybe Oregon just isn't together as a team yet. Maybe not. Uh but that's the kind of win on a neutral floor. Uh, that is absolutely, we get to March and uh, who's in, who's out, and who's seated where, and that's the kind of game. I mean, the San Diego State win's good, but it was at home, so you're expected to get it. But to get what will probably end up being a really quality win on a neutral floor, and that's, that's a big-time positive right there. Yep. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And, you know, you can say as much as you want about Oregon's integrating new guys, but so is BYU. So are so many schools this time of year with the way the transfer portal is gone. So that's, you know, you did it better. David actually posts here, they played well on both ends of the court. Their version of the blender was running to perfection. We can talk about this with Tim Lacombe coming up at 9 o'clock, but they had the ball on the left side of the court to the right side to the left, switch side, stretch the defense, and then beat somebody off the dribble who's – tired and closing out poorly. And they just did it again and again and again. 
Easy win for the Cougs. They won big. When we come back, Riley Jensen, college football insider, mental performance coach, joining us. Next, we'll get his take on Utah and Oregon. The big game of the week, not just locally, but nationally. And we will get to that next. Stay with us.